0: Inconvenient, adjective, causing trouble, difficulties, or discomfort. Truth, noun, the quality or state of being true. When something causes us trouble, gives us difficulty, or produces discomfort, we avoid it. But what happens when we can't? What happens when those things come from our relationship with God? What happens when those things that are so inconvenient are also unavoidably true? This summer, we take a look at truths that we'd rather avoid. Truths about human dignity, sexuality, relationships, our work, and our money. This summer, we explore Inconvenient Truths. Kids ages 3 to 3 pre-K can head down to Holy Cross Kids Worship. The rest of you go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 13. Like always, if you don't have a Bible with you, the text in your order of worship, the passage we're going to be looking at, um, or if you don't own a Bible, there are a few on the back table. We would love to, to put one of those in your hands. Just go grab one. They're literally just on the connect table back there. Grab one. That's our gift to you. Uh, but have, have the scripture in front of you. We, Christians are a people who order their lives around God's word, not around our notions of what is and what is not, but around God's word. God speaks into our lives, and so it's important for us to attend to it. That's why we're doing what we're about to do right now. So last week, uh, we began talking about money, uh, and in particular, talked about it from the perspective of idolatry. Remember that? Jesus said that money is one of those things that can easily compete for our loyalties with God. And he said, you can't worship two masters. You're either going to love the one and be disloyal to the other, or uh, be devoted to one and hate the other saw that money is a false savior, that promises a ton but cannot deliver. And Jesus told us that one way to see if this is a particular issue from, for us is to open up our bank statement, open up our checkbook, open up what, whatever it is that you keep track of your spending, uh, and look at where it is that your money flows most freely. Not necessarily what gets the highest percentage of your money, because we all know that there are certain things that get a higher percentage than others, but where does it flow most freely? Where does it just easily, where do you spend easily? It was inconvenient, right? This week, we begin looking at some particular aspects to our issues with money. Because, I said this last week, but because this is such a significant issue for us in our culture, and because we, are, we tend to be so blind to it, it's rather invisible to us, we're, we're spending four weeks talking about it. And we need a couple of those weeks just helping us see how greed presents itself in our lives. And even when I say the word greed, I know that most of us have images of of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge sitting at his money table counting his coins, or if you're a child of the 90s, Scrooge McDuck swimming through his money bin. Uh, But this week, we need to look at exactly how it is that we try to find in money our safety and our satisfaction. So if you have your place in Hebrews 13, would you stand in honor of God's word? That's our habit here. We're going to be reading just two verses, verses 5 and 6. This is God's word for us this morning. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear, for what can man do to me? This is God's word given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into this time, you know, Lord, you know, that our eyes are veiled when it comes to our issues with money. And you know that uh, because of this, we get really uncomfortable when people talk about it. Uh, We tend to think that, especially if a preacher starts talking about it, he must be out for our money. Um, Lord, I pray that you would press past all of those things, all of those biases we bring into this room, and that instead you would uh, preach your gospel to us so that we would flourish. Finding in you our safety, finding in you our satisfaction, our contentment. Because you were the one we were made to find those things in. So Lord, would you demolish every idol in our hearts this morning, even now. And for those here in this, in this room for whom this is all new and Jesus is an idea, a, a seemingly good dude who, who said some weird things in a desert, I pray that you would give faith. Because you are a great gift giver. So, Lord, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Do you have a seat? <clears throat> when I was a kid, I used to play this game. Well, it wasn't exactly a game. It was more like a daydreaming exercise. Um, every night before i go to bed, I would lay in bed and I would, quote, unquote, pray. Now, when I was little, God, you know, I, I, I wasn't raised in this. I didn't, you know, I became a Christian later in life. So, uh, when I was a kid, God was like... Um, Aladdin's genie to me, right? And so that, that was how my prayers used to go. I would, I would, um, I would basically ask if God what, what it would be like if God were to give me some wishes, right? And it was always the same, night after night. Um, it would generally start with a wish for more wishes, right? Because this was before Aladdin, in which we were told by Robin Williams that that's out. You're not allowed to wish for more wishes. So you'd wish for more wishes, my second wish was always for the affections of young Kimberly Edenton. Um, third grade crush. I have no idea what's become of her, uh, and it doesn't matter. Um, and, then, and then basically what started after that was the stuff. I would imagine what I would do with a million dollars, which in the late 80s was a lot of money. Today is, you know, not as much. But I would imagine what I would do with a million dollars. I would think of the stuff I would buy and the things I would do. I would think through who would want to be my friend and who I would exclude from that. It was great. Of course, that was a childish thing, right? We would never do anything like that anymore. So nothing like that ever happens when we pass by the billboard that gives you the Powerball jackpot for the month. 349 million. And you look at it and you think, ah, oh, it's so much money, and then suddenly your mind starts wandering to all that you could do with $349 million. The driving force behind all of this for me was the belief that I could be satisfied with enough money and stuff. Ever feel that way? And if I just had enough, if I just had a little more, actually, it's it's always just a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more, I could rest. I I could relax. I could be satisfied. My guess is that everyone in here feels that way. I mean, we have an entire industry, don't we, that encourages us, pulls at us, yells at us, in fact, To think this way, as we see images and videos of people finally living the good life because they've bought their product, but this passage though gives us another option—one that rests in God. So we're going to look at this passage in two ways this morning. Um, Very simply, there's an outline in your bulletin that's helpful. We're going to look at two questions and two truths. Really easy: two questions and two truths. Now. Let's get started with that. These verses happen towards the end of the letter to the Hebrews. If you've never read Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews is like a 13-chapter trek through the Old Testament. and What the writer is trying to do throughout the entire time is to point out all of these things that were in the Old Testament. He said, these are really good, but Jesus is better. These are really good, but Jesus actually fulfills these things. And these two verses, in fact, highlight for us two questions. I said, two questions that all of us ask some of us, my guess is most of us, look to money to answer them, but they aren't born from money, see? But before we get to that, let's look at the questions themselves. Look at verse 5. Our writer says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, let's stop there. Now, there are two, uh, more or less, commands in this passage. Two, two, more or less, commands in these two verses. The first is to keep your life free from the love of money. That's a, that's a negative command. That's like, stop doing something uh, or, or keep yourself from doing something. Get rid of this. The word itself, the ESV translates it, love of money. That's a a good translation. Some of our translations will say, keep your life free from from greed. Right? Keep your life free uh, from greed. And remember what we said last week. That greed is an inordinate desire for wealth. It's not desire. Desire is not bad. It's an inordinate desire for wealth. A a misordered desire. Now hold on to that for a second. We're going to come back to that. So that's the negative command, keep your life free of greed. And then the the second is a positive command, to be content with what you have. And contentment is a kind of satisfaction, is it not? A satisfaction with the the stuff that we have. And so we're we're being told to be satisfied. That's the question though, right? These things in the negative and positive form highlight for us a question that we often seek to answer with our money or stuff. Will I be satisfied? And how can I be satisfied? Now, the temptation, whenever you come into a worship service like this, is to think that what we do in this place, we talk about Christian things. Right? We're just in Christian stuff. But here's what goes on with that question. That question, will I be satisfied, that's not a Christian question. That's a human question. That's a question that seems to be born into us. We all ask that. We all wonder if we can be satisfied, no matter whether Christian or not. Not everyone in this room is. So we all ask, can I be satisfied? You know, it's not as if the Rolling Stones invented the cry that they can't get satisfaction. They were simply giving voice to something that was seemingly in our own hearts. When you put these two commands together, you see that our author seems to think, that we often seem to answer that question, what will satisfy me? How will I be satisfied with money? And this is where the notion of greed comes in. That notion of misordered desire that I told you to hold on to for a second. Our desire for money arises, comes out of the place, uh, and, and comes, in, in fact, not just out of a place of emptiness in us, but become, because of that hole becomes out of place itself. And contentment is difficult to find because of the fact that we can't seem to find satisfaction, but are convinced that we can find it through material wealth. That's the first question. The second question that we ask is more inferred from verse six. Look there now. The writer says, "So we confidently say," and you heard Jeremy pray this earlier. "That we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me?" Now, that's a quote from Psalm one eighteen. If you're if you're curious about that, Psalms are kind of this this uh, poetic prayer book, song book in the middle of your Bibles in the Old Testament. It's from Psalm 118, verse 6, but the point here is how this verse is being used. We are told, I will not fear, for what can man do? What can he do to me? Do you hear the underlying question? It's simply this Will I be safe? Will I be safe? Will, will I be secure? And this is another human question, an especially American human question. Think about it. We live in a society now where safety is king. We are, we're living in the craziness that outlaws sledding because of the potential that some child will get hurt. You can no longer sled down a hill in certain cities because someone might get hurt. We want a riskless world, a safe world. And most of us believe that enough money can actually do that. It can actually keep us safe. We believe that money will keep the chaos away, keep problems from being problems, because we can pay enough to make it go away. That is like the cardinal truth of American culture. And it is so much a part of who we are that as I'm saying this, some of you are wondering, well, how exactly would you fight that? Well, how would you argue against that? Right? It's kind of like uh, there's a story that um, Michael Jordan told uh, during his Hall of Fame speech in which he came off the court once and one of his coaches leaned over to him and said, uh, hey, Michael, there's no I in team. And he said, I know, but there is isn't win. Right? And it's the same way. We think I... We hear money can't buy happiness or money can't make life worth living, and we're like, yeah, but it can make it a lot easier, and I'd like to try. Will I be satisfied? Will I be safe? Where do you go to answer those questions? Because those are real questions, those are human questions, and we need to ask ourselves: where where do we go for those things? We all know that we feel the need for satisfaction. We all know that we feel the world isn't particularly safe, so what do you turn to to deal with that? If you find yourself thinking, man, if I just had a little bit more money, if I could just get a little bit of margin in my life financially, I could, I could rest. I, could, I wouldn't be so stressed. I wouldn't be so concerned about the future if I just had a little more money, or I'll be only be happy if I can get a slightly better lifestyle. How about this one? I just need this one thing, this one last thing. I can't afford it yet, but once I can, then I will be done. I will be accomplished. I'll stop working so much as, so, so I'll, I'll stop working so much once I get this raise. And then there's the panic that comes. For those of us who are of the more middle class bent, the panic that comes when we watch our savings accounts start to go like this. Or maybe it's depending on where you're at in life. If any of these are part of your life, then I'm here to tell you there is a problem. Listen, I'm not denying that money does give you advantages. I'm not arguing that having extra money in the account wouldn't help in case things fell off the rails. What I'm arguing is this. When will you know that you have enough? Think about it. For most of us, uh, thinking about our finances and money is a lot like... um, dealing with a weight problem by buying a bigger belt, It's like dealing with our hoarding problem by buying a bigger house. We think we just need a little bit more space. We just need a little more room to, and then we fill it. So how much is enough? How much money is enough for you to feel satisfied? How much is enough for you to feel safe? See, the problem is that you and I have never been satisfied by stuff, have we? At least not for long. If you've lived long enough, you've made those declarations. If I can just get this, and then you get this. It's never quite what you expected. As a matter of fact, I would think everyone in this room is probably about old enough to get that because we've all been through Christmas, have we not? We know what it's like to come to the end and go, "Ah, yeah, not enough. We get it, we buy what we want, and it leaves us wanting not long after. And we also know that money can't keep us safe, right? No matter how much money you have, it can't keep cancer away. It can't make our relationships secure. and surely can't ward off death. It's never enough. So the question is, if we know it's not, why do we keep looking to it to make it that way? If we know it's not enough to satisfy us, but we keep looking to it to satisfy us, what, isn't that the definition of insanity? we know that money can't keep chaos at bay, it can't keep us safe, and yet we keep looking to it to make us safe, isn't that the definition of insanity? Well, here's the reality. It's not that we believe it can't. It's because we believe we've just never quite gotten enough of it. Never quite gotten enough to make it that way. We were always wrong. We thought it was this much, but it's really not. We've gotten there. It's, It's not that much. It must be this much. We, we have to keep going. We have to keep chasing. We don't entertain the possibility that money can't actually deliver on the promises it's making us. We only entertain the possibility we haven't done enough, secured enough, performed enough. We always need more. So those are our questions. Those are the questions we ask. Now let's look at the two truths. Because if we're honest with ourselves and with each other, no one wants to be greedy, right? Right? That still has a negative connotation in our culture. Even if Michael Douglas once stood up and said greed is good in a movie, no one really believed him. Uh, We we know that greed is bad, but just saying stop it never seems to work. And it never works because we never actually get to the reason why we're greedy in the first place. But this passage actually gives us some hints. But to get to those hints, we have to remember the story that the Bible tells. Because... Maybe this is familiar to you or not, but the Bible tells a story of how God made the world, that, that he made us and we were created for him. We were created to be in a dependent relationship with him, dependent on him for life, for breath, for, for value, for worth, for everything, for understanding of reality. But in time, though, we came to believe a lie, and that lie sounded like this. Maybe it's familiar to you. God can't be trusted. <clears throat> He's holding me back. He, he, all he wants is for me to be miserable, he doesn't love us at all. That lie was not just that we could be independent from God. He can't really satisfy us, so we, need, we, we should be independent of him. But, but that we had to be independent of him. That he wasn't to be trusted. He, he wasn't safe. And all we had to do was to turn from him, betray him. And that's what we did. The Bible calls this betraying of God Sin. I know we think of that as breaking rules. It's, it's more like breaking a relationship. It's a betrayal. It's a relational betrayal. And when we broke relationship with God, everything changed. First, we betrayed God. And so there's guilt. And I know that's not popular, but we all know what this is about because you've been betrayed. And you've betrayed others. So you know what it's like to be betrayed. And when that happens, guilt happens. So we are now, by our very nature, guilty before God. The immediate impact of this, the Bible says, is death. But even that death is a shadow of something more. It's it's something greater, bearing the weight of our betrayal of God forever, an eternal judgment. So there's guilt. But second, our natures were changed. We, We became twisted in ourselves. And what that means ultimately is this. Whereas in the beginning, we had to be convinced of the lie. We had to be convinced that God didn't love us. We had to be convinced that he couldn't be trusted. We had to be convinced that he was holding us back. Now, instead of having to be convinced of it, it's our presupposition. It is the the lens through which we see all the world. It is the presupposition of every human being from birth. You see, we're still dependent creatures. But now every aspect of our being seeks to be dependent on anything but God. But lastly, we were alienated from God. And think about that for a minute. If, If we were created for God created to be dependent on him, created to find our satisfaction in him. What happens when we are alienated and separated from the one we were made to find satisfaction in? What happens? Simply this. We can't be satisfied. Nothing ever seems to work. You see, the source of our greed is not our circumstances. It's not even our upbringing. It's not our socioeconomic bracket. The source of our greed is a broken relationship with God. The source of our greed is not because we don't have enough. It is because there's never enough for us. We are looking in the wrong place to be satisfied. Greed is an inordinate desire. It is a misordered love because we were made for God to be our first love and for everything else to line up underneath. And when it When it doesn't, when we take what is good and make it ultimate, everything skews. If you have a hole that is big enough to drive a truck through, you cannot fill it with a thumbtack. Ever. Of course money can't satisfy us. It's a thumbtack. But we keep trying, believing that we just haven't gotten the right thumbtack. If we want to see our greed dealt with, something has got to be done about our relationship with God that's where it all has to start and that's where the answer comes you see this writer gives this ethical command right he tells us to be to be free of greed he tells us to be content that's going to go do this but he doesn't just leave it there he bases it on something look at verse 5 he bases it on this for he has said i will never leave you nor will i forsake you how is that possible How can God make such a statement when we've betrayed him, when we're guilty before him, broken internally and alienated from him by our nature? The answer is Jesus, friends. That's the crazy thing. The writer ultimately says the answer for greed isn't just stopping and it's not being, uh, it's not being, uh, it's not even giving. The answer for greed is Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, If we are greedy because of the question, can we be satisfied and can we be safe, then it makes sense to think that the answer to our greed would have to come from answering those questions. But the Bible tells us, though, that those questions can only be answered by having our relationship with God restored. And that is what Jesus came to do. Jesus lived perfectly, he died sacrificially, and he rose victoriously to reconcile us to God. He came to restore us to God. So how is it that God can say, I will never leave you? I will never forsake you. It is because this is what he says to all who place their faith in Jesus. We can say, the Lord is my helper. That that word doesn't just mean, like, it means life giver. The Lord is my my helper, our life giver. when When we place our faith in Christ. And when we do so, when we place our faith in him, his perfect life becomes our perfect life. His death for sin becomes our death for sin. In other words, our relationship with God is made right. We are made right, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. This is why God can promise something so scandalous as I will never leave you and forsake you when you and I are so fickle. Because it is based on grace. Now listen, you may keep your greed well hidden. You may even be able to claim it isn't greed, but, but responsibility, right? Just being responsible. I'm investing in the future. It may not look like the person who's hustling on the street to get rich or die trying, but it is still greed. We need God's grace in Jesus, all of us. Through him and through him alone, we are restored to the one that we were made for, the one that we were made to find satisfaction in. And because Jesus has conquered death, because he has conquered death and promises that it cannot hold us any longer, then there is nothing left to fear. What can man do to me? He can kill me. No, he can't. Jesus rose, and so will I. The answer to greed is ultimately to say, money money can offer me nothing because Jesus has given me everything. It is to expose the lie that money can, the the lie that money can actually satisfy us or or stuff can satisfy us because we know that our true... Contentment. Our true satisfaction is in Christ. And that allows us to move towards contentment. I say it this way because true contentment is based on the gospel. That is not to say that something like contentment isn't possible apart from the gospel of Jesus. That, that it's not possible to be content unless you're a Christian. That's what, there's, a, there's something like that, but only that true contentment is possible through the gospel. Here's why contentment is, as the, the Puritan John Owen said, the gracious disposition of mind arising solely from trust in and satisfaction with God alone. You catch that? Trust in God alone. In other words, knowing that he alone saves, not our stuff. Satisfaction in God alone, knowing that we were made for him and our hearts will forever be restless apart from him. Let me be a little clearer. Uh, contentment, what is being commanded here, is not the same thing as being okay with what you don't have. It's not the same thing. Uh, you see, some of us could, could have that. We could be okay with what we don't have, not because we, we are trusting in God alone or finding satisfaction in God alone, but simply because we've been resigned to having little. Or because we are simply psychologically easygoing, perhaps even pathologically so. And don't care enough about anything. That's not the same as contentment. Contentment isn't being, listen to me, contentment isn't being okay with what you don't have. Contentment is knowing that you have more than you could have ever dreamed. It's not being okay with what you don't have. It's realizing that you have more than you could have ever dreamed. And so the cure for the love of money is to know that God will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, the cure for the love of money is to know that you are rich in God. You can't lose him. Imagine that. The, the God who created the universe, who keeps it all running and spinning on his axis by his power, the same God, that same God has rescued you, has given himself to you, and promises to always remain with you in Christ. You see, the problem with, with greed and the problem with my little nightly childhood dreaming exercise was not that I was wishing for too much, it's that I was wishing for far too little. So long as you live under the lie that your satisfaction and safety are just one paycheck or one lottery check away, you will constantly find yourself feverishly searching for more because it will never be enough. But if you place your faith in Jesus, if you look to him to make you right before God, to reconcile you to the God you were made for, and all of that by grace, not by your performance, but all freely given, then money can return to where it was meant to be. The security of the gospel, God declaring upon you, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, allows us to use money instead of being used by it. So let me conclude with this question. How much is enough? Wrestle through that this week. How much is enough to make you feel satisfied? How much is enough to keep your particular boogeyman away? How much is enough in your personal finances? How much is enough in your business? How much is enough in your ministry? Our bar is too low, friends. The infinite, eternal God offers you himself, and you settle for Benjamin Franklin. Not even the real Benjamin Franklin. His picture, in green. You settled for that because you were afraid that if you come to God hungry and with open hands, He'll leave you that way. But look to Christ. There he has shown you that he pursues you. He died for you. And not because he didn't have anything better to do on a Friday afternoon. But because he loves you and he wants to be reconciled to you. Again, the funny thing about my little childhood nightly exercise is that one of the three wishes, eh, really two, but we'll we'll start with one. One of the three wishes was always the same. And it was always for more wishes. It was always for more wishes because it was never enough. And it couldn't be because none of it was what I was made for. Would you pray with me? Lord, as St. Augustine said at the beginning of his confessions, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. This morning, Lord, we come into this place with restless hearts, and some of us right now, even right now, are arguing, They're fighting. we're fighting inside of ourselves, we're going, no, 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 that, that may be true, but 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 for me, I just need a little more. Or we're saying, don't, Rick, don't, we're, we're, don't take away my stuff, what will I have left? Lord, I pray that in all of our hearts right now, you would show us an image of yourself, that you would press on us your glory, your love, your peace, would you, would you pierce our hearts with the gospel this morning so that we can say, you can take my stuff because the Lord will never leave me or forsake me. You can take my stuff because the Lord is my helper. What will I fear for what can man do to me? If that's going to happen in us, Lord, you have to do it. And so I pray that you would, that you would actively do it now. For your glory, for our good. And so that the world might look and see something truly amazing. A people freed to to use what is good instead of to serve what they have thought was ultimate. We ask all these things in Christ's name.